if you don't try stuff, if you don't innovate, um, if you don't change, unless basically unless you're moving forward, you're basically moving backwards. Hi, welcome to the Halftime Snacks. My name is Ronen Einbinder. This show features the stories of talented people working in sports. Are you ready? Let's go. Joining today's episode is a guy from Hong Kong who lived most of his life in the UK. This guest has tons of experience in the financial industry under different roles, including investment banking, trading, quantitative finance, and more. Additionally, he worked for three years as a data scientist for the sports streaming company DAZONE. Today, he's the co-founder of Game On Active, a company that is looking to help everyone play more sports through digitizing the entire process of organizing grassroots sports gatherings. I can't wait for his lessons in sports, technology, finance, and more. Ladies and gentlemen, allow me to introduce Jimmy Lowe. <laughs> That's an awesome introduction. Good to see you, Ronan. Good to see you too, Jimmy. How are you, man? Excited to, uh, excited to chat to you today. Yeah, good, man. My icebreaker for you is if you could have dinner with a sports player, dead or alive, you can choose. Who would you choose and why? Um, I mean, I'll, I'll probably say Chris Paul. The way he plays, like old school basketball, floor general. You know, he can shoot, he can pass. And yet the guy hasn't got a ring. I'm just, you know, I'm like, Chris, man, you need to get a ring. <laughs> um, and I love to, you know, if, I, if I'm going to like meet an NBA player, it would definitely have to be him, I think. That's awesome. And I know a lot of people are going to hate on me for this because a lot of people <laughs> stack up CP3, but... He's my man, man. I love it, man. I love it. I'm sure he would accept your dinner after he listens to this episode, um, Jimmy. I hope But... so. I hope so. <laughs> I'm so excited that we're going to talk about so many different things uh, in the realm of sports, technology, and what you guys been doing. But I want to first of all touch in your story and your background. You have a fi uh, finance background. Uh, you worked in uh, corporates out of finance. So I want to know uh, if you can share with us a couple of lessons that you learned, you took from working in having a job in, in yeah. corporates out of finance that really helped you develop the successful product that you're trying to build and that is helping you in game on in your day by day today. My, my career has actually, yeah, like, like I was saying to you earlier, it's been like quite diverse. I, I certainly spent a lot of time in the investment banking, corporate finance. Um, I was a trader on the trading floor for a stint. Um, but I also basically ended up also consulting at like some really big banks, like you know, the likes of HSBC, Credit Suisse, UBS. Um, and then like you say, I also worked for Design for a couple of years. So I've seen, I wouldn't say like I've, I've taken like, obviously I've picked up things in my career that has been useful um, for the company. For example, I, I have a fairly good understanding of accounting. Um, I can code. Um, I understand how to like write a pitch deck so it helps us talk to investors and that sort of stuff. Um, but I wouldn't say those are like, you know, only applicable to sports technology. I think it's like generally useful skills. Um, but I mean, like to answer your question more directly, um, I mean, a couple of things that maybe I picked up as I watched 
um, companies grow and how companies solve problems in my in my across my own career. Um, I did definitely pick up a couple of things that I have consciously applied in in, in Game on Active. Um, one thing is that um, that if, if you don't if you don't try stuff, if you don't innovate, um, if you don't change, unless basically unless you're moving forward, you're basically moving backwards. So um, I've seen a lot of really really big companies. Um, they're trying to innovate. So for example, a good example is all these retail banks trying to go into um, FinTech, right? They want their customers to bank with them on the app. But um, when you're in a massive company, change is very, very slow. Um, there's, there's politics, there's legacy systems. Um, there's all sorts of things like trying to stop change from happening. And one thing that I've really learned is that the only way to stay ahead is to keep changing, is to keep evolving. Um, and that's, that's certainly something that would you know, I've instilled in how we do things in game of. Um, you know, we, we quite like to, like people come together, like we have ideas and we try stuff out, it doesn't work. We, we try to figure out what can we learn from it and then we move on and then we make sure that we don't forget the lessons that we've learned. Um, another thing that um, I think I've picked up kind of is, you know, always, always uh, don't obsess with your competition. Like don't spend all your time looking at what your competition is doing. Um, and don't worry about people knowing about what you're up to, because um, to be honest, in this world of um, technology, like where most companies are delivering services on mobile apps, web apps, websites, and so on, anyone can like get an account um, on your product and they can figure out like, what are you doing, right? So, so I see a lot of like startups like you know, obsessing with like what their competition is doing, whereas I think um, what you should do actually is obsess about I think, I think like Jeff Bezos also says this like quite a lot of times. Um, just go and talk to your customers. Right? And one of the things that we did at Game On was um, a bit like Uber and Airbnb. Like you've got a marketplace app. Just because you've got an app doesn't mean people will start using it. So actually, you know, Uber, I don't know if you know, started by basically paying drivers to just drive around. Mm -hmm. So that when customers come in, they, they actually see that there's stuff for them to do. Same with Airbnb, the founders basically started renting out their own property as like to seed the, the marketplace with some supply. And we did, we did the same thing, basically. We just started running basketball games on our app um, and to basically learn from people who are joining our games, like, you know, what do you think about the app? What can we do better? What's annoying you? And, and, and it's through that that we've been iterating um, the, the product over the last couple of years. Um, and yeah, I mean, like we just, it's just a whole always. Like we're, we're, we're always just trying to listen to people who use the app. And like we use that as sort of our North Star. That's that's the guiding light in terms of what should we do next? What's important? What's going to make a difference, right? Um, and maybe another thing is that some may disagree with me. I think increasingly as everything become more digitized, I think tech, even if you're not a tech company, but certainly if you're a tech company, it's a core competency that you, you shouldn't try and outsource it, especially if they're a startup. But I see a lot of um, the typical startup journey, right? They, they pitch for some funding, this, they, they do really well, they get some funding, um, they outsource, they, they, they write up like this beautiful app and they, they get a developer to write it three months, bang. Now we have a product, we try and, we try and start. Um, but actually, you know, this is not my first startup and I've, I've had stints in other startups before, but actually at the beginning of your startup journey, a lot of it is about learning. A lot of it's about figuring out what are the gaps in the market, what your customers want, what, what are the existing products not doing that customers want 
right? So you, you're learning and you need to iterate. You need to move really, really fast. And if you outsource your tech, um, that slows the whole thing down, basically. So imagine you blow half your funding for the MVP and then you learn that, okay, actually that's not how the screen should look. We need to change it. And you can talk to the developer again. They give you a different developer. Um, or you need to draft a whole new contract. By the time this, this they're ready to get started again, it's like a month has passed. And then by the time you've learned something out, and then you just start, that cycle just get, grinds to a halt. If, if as a tech startup, you outsource all your tech from day one. Um, and we, we took a really conscious decision to, to not do that, basically. Um, and that all our tech software is de developed in-house um, by myself and Jared. Yeah, I think I think it makes sense. Um, first of all, the first one that you mentioned is change. That change is something that is basically inevitable, and big com big companies have a lot of struggle in changing because of how <clears throat> how they're made and how politics work and how you know culture is is quite different. Yeah. Um, and so change is a really important uh, thing, and I also think that. The second one that you mentioned in terms of technology and being able to, you know, develop it in-house is also a very important key. If you're a technology company and you're outsourcing your technology, then you're not really a technology company, I'd say. You're basically just uh, relying on someone right. else's servers or relying on someone else's code. So exactly. it really doesn't doesn't make any sense for you, at least, in, at least in the long term. Maybe in the short term will work, but not in the long term. Um, And but I'm really curious to ask you, um, of course, coming from that background and with your experiences over there, and of course in the zone, uh, I can see that you're very passionate about sports or, uh, as well. So, how how exactly was your vision for grassroots sports, the future of grassroots sports, triggered? How 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 did you came up with, let's say, the idea of Yeah. this app yeah. to solve a a problem there like you you how yeah. how 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 was it that you really felt that pain that uh, you were like man you know we need an app for this and what are the problems that there are today in that space and what in your mind how do we get there in terms of like filling the gap yeah it's a really really good question actually um um the, the Kind of like if what got me thinking about game on um, was probably about 14, 15 years ago when I was still working in banking. And as you know, bankers famously work really, really hard. And I certainly, I was like really stressed out. So I, I was working all hours of the day, weekends, like nights, like what have you. Um, and I wasn't eating very healthily. Um, and my health really took like it's like it really took a toll on my health um and i mean like people like everyone has their own poison like you go out drinking or you go partying or whatever like um to try and get your mojo back if you would right and to keep you sane um and something happened um like at one point like, i always loved playing basketball um i i was like i made my school team just before i came to the uk to study um, in hong kong And I still keep my jersey with me, number 12, which was John, John Stockton's number, um, who was my favorite player at that time. Um, and coming over to the UK, like basketball is not a big thing in the UK, um, even though it's quite big in Europe, as you might know. 
And I basically like slowly and slowly stopped playing. I wasn't a school team and I was really disappointed. Uh, I was playing pickup. Um, but then by the time I got to uni, you know, people are going out partying. And then when, by the time I got into banking, that's just no time to play. Um, and a friend of mine basically said, um, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm, I know this guy who's like doing a basketball run sort of near your work. It's every night, Tuesday night, um, in this place called Angel in London. Why don't you join? So I started, I started going like the first game, second game. God, I was really unfit. I, like, I was like, I don't remember myself being such a terrible basketball player. And then I kept going, right? And then, um, honestly, I can't, I can't tell you what a difference it made to my mental health. I think, uh, I think most people who play sports probably sympathize. You come back and you get this like adrenaline rush and then you're feeling good about yourself and you feel like you're getting fitter. You get this fantastic appetite. And, and if you play team sports as well, like over time, inevitably, you end up making loads of friends. Um, and, that, and then that time was about the time when we started to get this like smartphone revolu like, um, revolution. Like, everyone's starting to have like iPhones and stuff. And you're starting to get things like Airbnb, Uber, like delivery services and so on. And I just thought to myself, like, um, why, why, why can't I just find a basketball game to join? Um, why is this so hard? And, and then I, I asked the guy who was organizing it. And he said, yeah, you have to, like, I happen to know this guy at the gym. So I, I, I basically have a block booking with him. Um, and now I was like, can I book the court? And he's like, well, actually, no, um, because um, we don't, they don't really have a website. You have to call him um, or, or here's an email address. You can try that. And then so if you're so lucky that you can find a court that you can book, then you're worrying about where do I find the players, right? You can go WhatsApp. Obviously, most people still do that. But then you'll find that if you try to do that, there's never quite enough players in, in, your, in your world of friends to join a game, regular game, at that place at that time every single week because people have plans right people don't want to live in the same place um and then then, then you have to worry about okay you're, you're so lucky you, you find enough players um some of them might not show up last minute it happens all the time and then how do you collect payments you want to deal with cash especially in the world of COVID-19 um so basically I realized that there's something to be done here right there's, like, there's clearly loads of people who want to play sports um, that's the demand is out there and people love it, right? Like people, guys who started turning up to that run basically become regulars and they're always the same guys showing up and they're all saying to the organizer, oh my God, I don't know what I'd do without you organizing this. Um, and it just occurred to me that you know, if I had such a good experience started starting to play basketball again, um, what if I could extend this, these benefits to lots more people? Like question mark, right? Are there loads of people out there like me? who used to play sports when they were back in school because it's easy to play sports because that tends to be like a school team, like a playground, it's easy to get a game going. But once you like enter university and, and, and start professional life, it's not so easy anymore, right? Because um, people that you play with probably aren't in the same city as you even. Um, and everyone's busy, everyone has like a social life to go to. What are this question, you know, that question mark I had 15 years old, is there like, demand out there like are there lots of lots of people out there thinking exactly like me who is like why can't there just be an app or even the website where i can find games to join and i just you know pick a slot that suits me and i just join i just pay and i just go why can't there be something like that is there demand out there for it because that's kind of what started it about four or five years ago um i had a career change i decided i was really fed up with the job that i was doing um 
And it's, it comes back to how like, big companies are really resistant to change. Um, and I've always wanted to like do things that some make a difference, if that makes sense. And being being in a big company, you, you don't really have a lot of opportunities to make big changes. Yeah. And I just decided, you know, screw it. I'm just going to give it a go. And, and that's kind of how Game on Active started, if that answers your question. Yeah, man, I love it. And I was reading through through the deck this, this information that you sent about Game on Active. And one of the things that uh, that resonated with me is that you guys pro uh, tried to expand really quickly or do many sports and you realized it was a little challenging yeah. so you decided to focus only on basketball on the uk um so I, i was thinking if this was kind of like a a a failure in a way that you you did something that it's not that you regret it's just that it took you a while to just understand that this was something big but it, you need to like focus yeah. first first of all in something small So I want to know if this is like the biggest failure you ever guys had, and and I'm not meaning failure in terms of that you guys failed, but but it, that it's something that you guys learned. So what is the biggest thing that you guys learned through something that didn't go as you as you thought, and why is this an important, you know, pivot or turning point in in the product life cycle of Game on Active? If, if there was if I, if I must pick out a failure of Game on Active. It would be that, like, I mean, we try to go down the route of, like, usually how a startup begins life, right? Like, you you write a pretty pitch deck. You have an idea, you write a pitch deck, um, you, you try and spell out what is it, what's the gap in the market, what's the problem you're trying to solve. You take it to angel investors and you pitch them. And usually in the UK, um, you know, an angel investor will probably come in, they probably give you 15,000 pounds for probably about somewhere between 10 to 15% of the equity. And I basically spent maybe like four or five months just going around, getting in touch with like the angel network in my own universities and also just basically just pitching like angel investors on networks. Um, and I had like quite a few meetings and almost every single one of them said to me, um, this idea is not new. A, a lot of people have tried your idea before. And we're not saying that um, there's no demand for it, but sitting on our side of the table, we see that a lot of people have tried and almost all of them have failed. None of them have scaled. Um, none of them have become your household name, like an Uber or Airbnb, right? So they asked me, so why do you think you will succeed? And um, I gave him like a bunch of reasons, obviously. I don't think they were really good answers. I mean, I had some decent answers, but I don't think they were good enough to convince them. But every time I left a meeting like that, I asked them, so, How do you, how would you judge that um, my approach to solving this problem is successful? Like, give me give me a number, like give me a yardstick, right? Um, like, even though I'm leaving with no money, I like to know, you know, how far do I have to get for me to know I'm going down the right path? And they said, well, if you get to about maybe a hundred uh, monthly active users, like you get your product out there, if at least a hundred people are logging into your app and doing something with it once a month, then I think you've got legs. Then I think you're getting somewhere. And then I kind of sat and I said, well, okay, then I'm probably going to have to, like, with no money, we're going to have to write the app ourselves. Um, and if I got that far, why would I give away 15% of the company for 15,000 pounds? Um, so probably not worth getting out of bed for. Um, and they said, yeah, you're right. Um, to be honest, they, they said to me, a lot of them advised me to go to the West Coast, America, and they said, 
go to LA, um, like if you like just you know, try and meet some investors out there, they're much more open-minded about investing in startups in the US. And someone will probably make a punt on you. And I say, well, I don't, I don't want to leave the UK. And then they say, well, then you don't really have a choice. Um, you just kind of have to do this on your own. Um, and that, that basically made me really take the time out to really go and study prior attempts at something like a game on active, which is like a marketplace app um, that helps players connect with um, activities, right? A lot of people have tried this. And one other thing that I've noticed um, a lot of them do is um, they will write an app and you can put up events and you can put up any events you can think of under the sun. It could be football, basketball, badminton, tennis, squash, um, some of them even do poker, video games. And what I realized was actually like, you know, you're a startup, you don't have a lot of money. Um, and and, and you, you're trying to create some meaningful interaction, as I call it, which is that if you have a product out there and you're doing some marketing or you're trying to get people to download it up, hopefully most of the people who end up downloading your app and they come in again again, there's something useful for them to do. There's something relevant to them in the app. Now, if you spread yourselves out really, really thin and you're trying to serve all the sports in all the countries and in all the cities in the world, the chances of creating a meaningful interaction is very, very, very small, right? You're going to have to have so many people come into the app, right? You have to spend so much money on digital marketing to bring people into the app uh, because so, and so few of them will actually find something relevant Right, because on the other hand, you, you have to have organizers uh, putting these events. No, we can put some up, but we can't be in all the cities in all the world, and we can't be doing things in all the sports possible. So if you're a startup, I basically realized um, to get traction quickly, you have to start small. And, and that probably means starting in one sport and probably starting in one city. So that basically we have a chance of making sure that basically when we first started, we started putting on basketball games for people to join. And that means that you can really, really focus on your digital marketing in London and for basketball. And that means that your conversion rate hopefully is higher because, you know, there's more stuff for them to do. And customers are hopefully more sticky because once when they come in, they see that actually there is something basically. And I think it's really helped us um, build a product uh, that avoids uh, and also to market it in a way that hopefully has learned from all the lessons of people be before us who have tried this. I want to ask you what macro or micro element do you see as a main threat for Game On Active in the future? How likely it is it to happen and to like become real? And how are you planning for it to pivot in case that happens? I, I guess that... COVID was a major uh, threat because it really threatens uh, meetups and live uh, events, meaning interactions one-on-one. -on -one. So let's let's divide the question into: first of all, how was COVID? How did you how did you uh, changed or how did you adapt to, to to the pandemic? And then post COVID, meaning you know in the world after COVID, what do you see as a main threat and how are you planning towards it? And how, what's the likelihood that you see uh, something, something like that happening, affecting your business? Yeah, I mean, like, macro-wise, I think you hit the nail on the head. It has got to be COVID. I think there's still a non-zero chance that we get some sort of variant and that we, we, we have another lockdown again. 
And that would basically put a stop to literally everything that we do. Like sports halls will be shut. Um, no sports events can take place. Um, and that actually reminds me when we when the UK went into lockdown um, last March or like March 2020. Um, it comes back to my point that I made right at the very beginning that a tech company should not outsource the tech because we realized, okay, great. Like, like we were just starting to hit new highs in terms of user engagement, in terms of number of events in the app and boom, that's a lockdown. Everything has to stop. And I, I was sitting there, I was like, oh my God, this, this could be the end, right? Like if this goes on for a long, long time, um, like this could be the end of game on. And one thing that we did really quickly was it, it so happens that there's also um, by April and May, um, the playoffs were starting to happen um, in the in the NBA. And even though people can't play, everyone was watching the NBA. So one thing that we did, um, and we did it ourselves really quick, in about a week, we released a brand new feature on the app that we call a community chat, which is that anyone who's going to count can chat in this main thread, if you would, that everyone can see. So people can talk to each other um, freely. And basically, people just started talking about the NBA, man. And... Um, and we found that our user engagement figure that we track our monthly active users, um, it, it dropped like a stone uh, when lockdown happened. That first month, it went from basically, if, if where we were pre-lockdown was 100%, it went to maybe about 10% by the time the lockdown came in. Um, and the moment we released the chat feature, quite a few ballers started to come back in and they wanted to keep each other up to date about what's the latest rules around what you can do, what you can't do, um, what, if there was any news about um, which sports halls were shut, like because there were some outdoor venues that were still open and folks were trying to keep each other updated on, oh, that's that outdoor court, you can still play that, they still haven't locked it. Um, and people were like trash talking about the NBA and so on. And it, it basically kept our, um, as many of our users in the app and using the app as possible. And it, it comes back to my point earlier about if we had outsourced our tech, um, obviously we had no money coming in. Do we really want to spend money and get a developer to write this new feature that we, 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 which may or may not work? This, with that, we have you know, made the same decision if we, if we couldn't change the app ourselves. I don't think we would. I think we would have just shut up shop and just prayed to God that this doesn't last very long. But instead, we could pivot really, really quickly and we can try stuff. And it ended up helping us. Uh, it meant that there was still some level of user engagement. It meant that when we came out of lockdown, uh, um, people were posting on the community chat when, when events started to happen again. Um, that we can get up and running really quickly again because people were still engaged with the app. Um, and with your questions about micro, um, I don't know what you mean by micro, like, um, like anything that's sort of not all-encompassing, maybe. Um, so basically, we, we managed to raise a round of funding even during lockdown, the last lockdown. We started last October. Um, we now finally are a funded startup um, and as part of that funding round, we, we had a um, vision about a tech roadmap. Like we're basically, um, there's basically a big change that's coming um, in our suite of product, hopefully in the next three months. Um, and I think 
it would be, if, if I was to think what's the next thing that keeps me up at night, it would be that us not executing our roadmap before we run out of this funding that we've got. Um, um, I, I, don't, I can't say too much more right now, uh, but if we manage to product and uh, we start signing on clients, it would mean that we will have cash coming in, um, unlike the mobile app, which is completely free to use. Um, so I think for me, for us, like, we're 100% focused on basically executing on our roadmap that, um, that we pitched to our investors um, during this funding round. That's great, man. When they threat is inside and not from the outside, at least you can control it. So I guess that that's a positive side. I, I'm excited to see what's going to happen in the next few months with Game On Active, man. And this conversation has been so fun. The, fl the time has yeah. been super fast. I've already realized that the halftime is almost over and the game <laughs> is starting. So we have to wrap it up. Um, so let me just ask you a last personal question, really quick one. And that is, what has been the best day of your life? And why do you remember that day to be the best day of your life? Wow, that's a, um, that's a tough question. You probably talk to a lot of startup founders, and you, a lot of them are probably like me. Um, you, you, are, you have a plan and you execute and good things happen. Like people signing up on the app and um, like you're hitting milestones. But if you are a startup founder, you find that basically you very rarely allow yourself the luxury of being happy and celebrate because you know there's still so much more to do. But there was one thing that happened that I distinctly felt like, oh, wow, this is really good, was when we started to raise our funding round at the, at the lock, um, when we were just plunging into the second lockdown last year. And the first guy that I pitched is actually a long-term user of the mobile app. Um, and we basically met up for lunch and I took him to our investor presentation. And at the end, he was basically like, man, I've been using your app for two years now. I can see what you're doing. I can see that you've got things under control. I can see that you're pivoting really quickly. Um, and yes, I would like to invest. Um, and he ended up being our biggest investor in that round. Um, and to have, and to have started game on, like I said, trying to pitch angel investors and all of them say no. And even some of my friends have always asked me, how are you going to make money doing this? How is this going to scale? I can't see it working. And to have come through three years of this and to try and pitch someone for funding when we are in a situation of lockdown where no sports can happen, there's literally nothing going on in the app other than people chatting. To have a user of the app basically coming in um, with still our biggest investment so far, um, having only talked to him for about an hour, to me, really, really, really validated um, and vindicated my approach, uh, our strategy, and how we have been executing. Um, and even me, I allowed myself to celebrate that day when he, when he signed on the dotted line and said, I'm going to come in um, and invest in the startup. I believe in you guys. I think if anyone's going to make this work, it'll be you guys, basically. Uh, and, he, and he's a very seasoned um, developer. He's a very good developer. And he said, um, you know, you guys are not professional developers and what you have developed is much better than what I've seen some professional houses do. So he was like, credit, kudos to you. I would like to invest. And even me, I, I had to allow myself to celebrate that day. 
That's awesome, Jimmy. Man, thank you so much for sharing that. And I want to also thank you so much for coming to the Halftime Snacks. It has been really fun. And I really appreciate your time and your insights on everything related to finance, man, the, your previous, your background, grassroots sports, the vision, Game on Active or whatever you guys are doing. I'm sure it's going to be really fun in the future to see how you scale. And I can't wait to see it, man. So thank you so much for coming to the Halftime Snacks. Before you leave, I want to thank you for listening. To hear this or any other halftime snack, check out the full archive on my website, which you can find on the show notes. See you next week!